This is Matt Doherty, executive coach, public speaker, and author. You're listening to The Shadows Podcast. Welcome, Shadows listeners, to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I am your host, Trip Bodenheimer. This week, we have Iman Tucker. He's an entrepreneur, professional DJ, currently serves as a DJ for the Indiana Pacers and Indiana Hoosiers basketball teams. During part one of the Shadows podcast, he discusses growing up as a military brat in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He and his brother were abandoned by his parents and moved to Seymour, Indiana at a very young age. How was it growing up as a black man in a predominantly white area? Why did he feel the need for affirmation of others? At 14, he was diagnosed battling stage four Burkitt lymphoma. Then he shares a crazy story, and I'm serious, this is a crazy story, about how he reconnected with his father through social media. And then how did being diagnosed with cancer for a second time, as well as being diagnosed with depression, change his outlook and perspective on life? Stay tuned for part two of this episode this Thursday, March 2nd. And if you want to follow him, we have his links in the episode description, along with everywhere that you can find the Shadows Podcast. Now, if you like what we're doing, as always, head over to theshadowspodcast.com, Apple, Spotify, leave us a review, let us know what you think. Folks, without further ado, let's get going here with this episode of the Shadows Podcast. Before we get going, I'm going to put you through some, some questions here. Very serious five questions to to kind of set the stage for our, our interview. First, Let's do it. favorite movie series of all time. First one that came to mind, I actually don't watch movies, but Star Wars. Um, it was just one of the few series as a kid I like latched onto. And I just think there's so much um, symbolism in it. It's so relevant yeah. to just regular life. Who should go to Star Wars character? Uh, it used to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. I loved how he was the old, silent, quiet leader. Yeah. Um, I think it still is. Okay. Um, see, I'm more I'm more dark side. I'm more like Vader, Boba Fett. The more character I think it was, uh, yeah. I liked. But okay. So Star Wars. And then what's the fear you have in life? Not being adequate enough. Um, that's probably the one biggest fear that looms over my head, which creates a lot of awesome things because it makes me work really hard. But at the same mm-hmm. day, at the same time, I think I'm always seeking validation through achievement or success or affirmations of other people. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty deep right there. We can unpack that. Guilty pleasure you have? Sugar. Um, I'm trying to get off of sugar. And actually, in fact, I eat it, consume it a lot less than I used to. But I hate how much I love sweets. Okay. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 28. Oh my gosh. So you're fine. Sure. Sugar don't do nothing to you. When you get my age, then you even look at it and all of a sudden you start getting a little double chin and all this other stuff. Oh, I haven't got the double chin yet, but book recommendation for you. The noticer. Um, one of my coaches, my college track coach, he had suggested the book maybe about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about perspective. And essentially, this invisible man walks around the earth. He gives people perspective. And ever since then, my whole mindset has shifted about the purpose of perspective and specifically when to give it to people. Well, I like that. Okay. We'll have that listed under our resource recommendations. And a really deep question here that I like to ask all of our guests. You could have dinner with three historical figures who are no longer with us. Who would you dine with? 
Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, probably Jesus. I would die with Jesus. He's number gotta... one draft pick every time. Oh, really? Yeah. Every time. <laughs> I, uh, I felt like that would be like an answer. A lot of people would say, but it's literally the first thing that came to mind. And I actually believe it to be true. Um, probably number two is, well, I'm a, I don't know why I'm struggling with this so much. Probably some type of historic basketball coach, like Bobby Slick Leonard of the Pacers. Okay. Um, the way he rallied for Indiana and what he did for the organization was huge. And to this day, the impact he made still is relevant in the city of Indianapolis. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Um, and then the third one would probably be some type of musician. Um, uh, maybe like Justin Bieber, let's just say a fun one, man. <laughs> I don't even know why, but I just think that, um, the way he's grown his brand and scaled his brand is super cool. And it's probably something to be learned from. Okay. All right. He, and just for our listeners, he's still with us. He's still with us, but. Oh, oh, we have to be passed. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> but we'll go with, we'll go with it. I don't want anybody to start like reporting that he's, he's no longer with us or anything, but okay. So that's a good group right there. Now, one thing that I'm really curious about with you is your upbringing. Before we started uh, recording, you mentioned that you grew up uh, army brat Fayetteville. So I'm, I'm right up the road. Like, you know, 45 minutes away in Lumberton. So talk to us about your upbringing. What were some of the aspirations you had and what was military life like for you? Well, to be honest, um, when we were subject to military life, we were so young that a lot of it, I don't even remember. And in mm -hmm. fact, somebody asked me the other day, like specifically, they were like, what was a memory of your sophomore year of high school that stood out to you? And my sophomore year of high school was 12 years ago. But even then I couldn't really remember yeah, any specific moment. And so I'm, I'm a little disappointed to say that I can't remember much of my upbringing. However, I will say that as a young person, I don't think I really had ambitions because I didn't understand what they were. Um, I didn't consume a lot of media. I didn't consume a lot of music. So what I had was what I saw. So for me, it was just kind of a more of a mindset of survival. Yeah. Well, you mentioned survival. I saw you were, you were left by your parents. What was that story about? Yeah, so um, we, my brother and I, we were left by our parents, and we ended up being in rural Indiana, so Seymour, Indiana, Jackson County, Southern Indiana, represent. Um, and How that was an interesting to Indiana. Well, so my grandparents had had roots. My mom was from Seymour, Indiana, um, mm -hmm. and that's where she was from. But then, of course, she moved out with my father to North Carolina um, when my brother and I were had, but. You know, they just decided the parenthood thing wasn't really for them. And next thing I know, we go from a predominantly black Hispanic area in Fayetteville to like 98% rural white space in Seymour, Indiana. Mm. How old were you? Um, I was old enough to remember. So probably somewhere around elementary to middle school. Um, I want to say fourth or fifth but we were also on and off going back and forth between indiana and north carolina a yeah. lot so uh for my brother and i we were never really completely confident or sure where it was going to be that we were sleeping at but shout out to my grandparents because they always stepped up and they always showed up and they, and they showed us a lot of love that certain kids that move around a lot are void of yeah you mentioned your grandparents took you in and you as you mentioned growing up as a black man in a predominantly white area prejudice 
I mean, discriminate. What all types of stuff did you have to endure as a young kid? Well, see, my closest friend actually was Hispanic. So we were kind of in it together. It was one of those things that there weren't a lot of um, melanated or brown people in our space. But that's definitely something we related on without even recognizing why. And so we were unpacking this uh, maybe about six months ago, um, really trying to dig up some things in our past we went through or that we faced and that we struggled with. And one thing, it wasn't particularly that we were constantly uh racially attacked or anything like that i mean of course you get the random slurs all the time but to me that's not what like true prejudice is we kind of saw it in the in the in the things that weren't said and we recalled a math bowl experience we had where myself uh, my hispanic friend and my filipino friend were all paired in a group together Uh, we remember being put in the back corner of the class and we always just remember like never really getting the support, never getting the encouragement, never getting the attention that we needed to believe that we were smart. So we never considered that we were athletic. We never considered that we were smart, not because people were telling us that we weren't, but because people never were telling us that we were. We weren't having that constant encouragement that perhaps some of the other students that had the perfect upbringing or had that image that fit the narrative of the school. Some of those things were left out. And so now as an adult, we're recognizing other spaces in our life where we look for that validation or those affirmations because we didn't get those growing up in our school systems. Mm, Yeah. And it's just that uh, inclusion, I guess, more than anything else, that inclusion and that affirmation to push you forward. And you mentioned earlier affirmation of others. Do you think that's something that stems from your childhood, like constantly seeking that out based on what you just were talking about a second ago? Well, if I'm being completely honest, it's one of those things that as an adult, I tried to deny the reality of it and say, oh, I don't need anybody to, uh, you know, alpha male. Uh, I got this. Just me. Lone wolf. I'm the one. I'm just going to encourage myself. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But then I would find out there was always like this cliffhanger at the end of Mm. everything that I would do of like, "Um, hey, guys, how was it? And of course, the entrepreneur, the tech guy in me, the sales guy in me makes me want to assume that, oh, it's just because the feedback loop has it completely closed. It stopped. But the reality of it was is I needed affirmations. I needed some love. I needed people to tell me that. And until I could diagnose that and see that, I'm walking around with a blind spot and I'm chasing affirmations in all the spaces that are not actually allowing me to progress forward as a man. Mm. Okay. And I mean, you talk about like getting hit with something that you got to struggle and fight through and, and needing people there for you as a teen, you were diagnosed with stage four Burkitt's lymphoma. What do you remember about that whole experience? And because like you said, I believe on your, your bio, that was pretty much a death sentence for you at that time. Yeah. Um, and the crazy thing is, is, I didn't find that out till after the fact. I didn't realize how serious it was really? until I start connecting the dots backwards. Because, you know, you're 14. All you really care about, well, at least all I cared about 14 was girls, sports, and hanging out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else was kind of invisible. But I, I remember that day when I got a note when I was in class to say, hey, Mon, you have a doctor's appointment. I'm thinking, a doctor's appointment for what? Well, flash forward the previous year, I couldn't open my mouth more than about uh a little over, I think the number was like six centimeters. So it was a really small mouse. So I had to pull my food and just push it through my teeth or just drink liquids to have food um, because I actually had a tumor that was compounding and not allowing my mouth to open. So that was for about a year you had to do that? 
yeah, about eight months to a year, I kept getting wow. misdiagnosed with like TMJ, all these other things that weren't actually what I was struggling with. Yeah. And then when I would get food down, I couldn't keep any of it up because I had multiple tumors around my pancreas and my stomach that were just sending the food right back out. Um, and so I was pretty malnutritioned, like my, my energy, I was not much sustenance. I actually had to quit basketball because I actually, in my mind, going back to what I said before, nobody was telling me that I was actually an athlete. So in my head, I'm thinking, I can't keep up with these other guys because they're better than I am yeah. or they're stronger than I am or whatever this thing is. But the reality of it is, is I just didn't have enough sustenance in my body because I couldn't eat. Um, and so then it just started getting progressively worse and worse points where I'd have headaches so bad I couldn't see so that I couldn't see in class. And now I'm wondering like, am I even, do I have like ADD? Like what's going on? Like, why can't I not focus? Why can't I literally not see the board? And I'm just trying to make all these excuses up for what's going on. Um, and then next thing I know, I blink and I'm sitting in that hospital bed and they're saying, Hey, this is what we found. Um, this is what we got to do. Um, and we don't have a choice because this is a life or death situation. You're in stage four now. And so treatment starts tomorrow. And as a young person, having everything just being taken away in a moment like that, and then being confined to what was my own jail sale really gave me a lot of time to think and really gave me a lot of time to start developing perspective that now, you know, 14 years later, it's been the cornerstone to understanding life at a completely different perspective. Yeah, it's, it was really crazy. You say it was only 14 years ago. It's not a long time. What do you remember about that? Like who was there for you? What was your mentality like? Yeah. So when we started living with my grandparents full time, my grandma was a stay at home grandma. So her main focus was to make sure that me and my brother were getting love and being loved yeah. on while my grandfather was at work. And so she was there with me every single night in the hospital, which is something that a lot of kids, especially teenagers, don't have the benefit or option to say because their parents still have to work to put food yeah. on the table. And so shout out to my grandpa for his sacrifices, but also to my grandma as well for being there with me. Um, and she was just there to serve me and take care of me and wash me and feed me and just love on me. And that's when my relationship really grew with her because yeah. that was the first time in my life where I had somebody that was solely focused on being there for me because I didn't have that as an infant. I didn't have that as a toddler. I didn't have that as a kid. And so I refer to wanting to have dinner with Jesus earlier. And then I think about like how my grandma essentially sacrificed what should have been the best years of her life mm. to pour in and love me. It told me that there's something deeper about this life thing that certain people have that at 14, I don't have yet. And so I have to spend this next 10, 20, 30, 40 years uncovering what that mode and mindset of sacrifice is, because that's why I believe I'm really here. Yeah. Wow. That's good stuff right there. And yeah, just, Someone being there for you, being selfless. And I mean, it's incredible that at that time, that's when you really got someone to to really buy in and, and, and pour into you that first time. Your parents, do you talk to your parents to this day? Um, so I've recently, crazy enough, um, got back in contact with both of my parents. Now, do we talk often? I can't say that we do, but um it was actually kind of a crazy story about how I ended up meeting my dad. If you care for me to share, let's do it. That's what we're here for. 
Yeah. So um, I own a faith-based clothing company called Believe Brand. And what we do is we sell very minimal logos and subtle designs, but it's basically the whole point of it is to start conversations. So whether you believe in God, whether you believe in Jesus or not, that's why we don these logos. We wear them on our stuff. And so uh, during the pandemic, a friend of mine, a lot of people were reaching out saying like, hey, I'm tired of my nine to five job. I want to go start a side hustle. Um, let me go ask him on how he built his clothing brand. Mind you, I was three years in it at this point already. So I'm sure my advice was terrible, but um, I had a friend that had come over and it was, it was, I don't know about you, but for me during the pandemic, hours didn't exist. It was just a day. Yeah. So this was probably about 10 30, 11 30 at night. Longest friend, leave of my life, basically. Right. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to call mine sabbatical since I learned so much, but um, I was talking to my friend, I was teaching her, I was saying, Hey, look, to have a successful brand, you don't actually need a successful social media funnel. That's a way to be successful in e-commerce, but it's not the way to be successful. Mm -hmm. I said, let's go through and check out um, some of our customers. And so I saw this name, the first name I saw, it was an African name. They had an LA billing address, but a Chicago shipping address. I'm like, oh, this is an anomaly. Like this person obviously has a name that is not, I've never heard of it before. So that tells me that there's something different about this person. Okay, cool. They live in LA, but now they must be visiting Chicago. So they must have a lot to learn. Let's look yeah. at this customer profile. So we pop on their Instagram and uh, like a lot of people over the age of 50, um, they only had one Instagram picture and it was like a blown up picture of their face. And I don't know what it was about that specific picture, but I'm like, I need to find more about this person. Like this is the one I want to find out about. And so I start going on Facebook. I copy the name and I put it on Facebook and I start looking through the pictures because the, the individual had a public profile. I see pictures of Magic Johnson. I see pictures of Kobe Bryant. I see pictures of these luxury estates, these amazing okay. supercars. And then I see this one picture. He's got one arm over an NBA jersey, a referee jersey, and the other arm over a WNBA jersey. I think, dang, this looks like my brother. And then in a moment, like this feeling just flushed through me. I was like, I think this is my dad. Whoa. I wasn't ready for that. And so 1130 at night, I send a message, no capitalization, no punctuation. Are you my dad? And with two seconds, I get a response that says, yes, I've been praying for years about when you would reach out. But my mother always told me, wait for you. Wait for your sons. They'll reach out to you. Don't force it. Wow. And next thing I know, I'm in a conversation about his trauma that he went through in the military, having survived certain things. Um, we're talking about his experience as a DJ, which if they, if anybody doesn't know, I'm also a professional DJ. He starts talking about his experience in the NBA, in the WNBA as an official. And I just realized like, wow, like we have so much in common, even though the only thing that we have in common right now is our biological ties. Cause I didn't have him as an example to look up to because, you know, unfortunately I just didn't have that privilege of having a dad in my life. And so, um, yeah, do I talk to my parents much more now than I used to, but I, I just can't help but not share that story sometimes because just how crazy everything came Jeez. out. No one else on the face of this earth would have gone to those links to find him like that, like that route. Everybody else would have done a, you know, what are the little DNA tests or 
Uh, yeah, the ancestry test. Ancestry.com, or there would have been, yeah. like, you know, my family tree. I can't fit, but wow, that's honestly in in the hundred plus episodes I've done, this is one of the craziest stories I've heard. I mean, I really mean that, and one of the most inspiring stories. So that's super cool. I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. Was that when was that? That you said during the pandemic, so two thousand twenty. Yeah. So it's 2020. And the crazy part about it was, is my father had actually learned the lineage of his name. And so his American name, he changed. So he had four African names. And that's why I never recognized I couldn't find him on the internet whenever I searched for him or anything like that, because he wasn't under the alias that I had always known him to be under. Yeah. And so to me, that was the craziest part. Wow. His time in the army, was that during like Desert Storm? Um, so it would have been between 91 and 98, I would believe. Yeah. So he was probably getting in there around time, desert storm. That was, that was February 91. Okay. And did you ever find out what he did in the military? Um, no, actually I have yet to ask, but that's a, I'm going to add that to my bucket list of like a hundred questions I have just, uh, that, that, as a man, I just always wanted to know. I've just always yeah. been curious. Stuff. I, I would definitely say like, throw that out there because um i know so many people who like my dad was in the navy and i never really talked to my dad about what he did in the navy until i ended up finding like paperwork and stuff after he had passed but if i could just sit down and talk to him about his time in service i'd love to to see that because back then that's that's that vietnam leadership era and that i mean definitely um mental health wasn't a thing people talked about probably from like 60s all the way up until probably early mid 2000s you just don't talk about you know the the mental toll that it takes on you so yeah i'm definitely curious how that would go oh, go speaking ahead. about speaking about the mental toll i mean that's part of my father's testimony and as a man like as much resentment as i want to hold for him not being in my life i recognize that he talked about a situation in which 20 26 people were on some type of flight or aircraft okay. um it ends up wrecking 24 of the 26 people pass away and he's one of the two that survives. Mm. So that alone, I think about the PTSD that he probably oh carries as a man. And then to have to take that as a father and a disciplinary, it's like now, like I, if I look at truth for what truth is, I understand like, well, no wonder he struggled with stuff like that. Who knows what he's going through in his own mind or his own heart. I mean, heck as, as a man, there's been times I've been frustrated about a pickup basketball game. And I went off with somebody imagine carrying something like that, where you see 20, four of your brothers die in a moment's notice and now you're one of the two left to tell the story and hold that guilt maybe you wish you would have done something different or who knows i was gonna say it was probably guilt and then it's probably some sort of attachment issue uh fear of losing people especially when you lose 24 people talk about overcoming obstacles you overcame your battle with cancer Talk to us about the, you know, crossing that finish line and being like, all right, I, I beat this battle that I, I had no chance of even starting with. Yeah, so that that was crazy because um, it happened my freshman year. So freshman, sophomore year, I'm going through treatment. I'm getting better. Um, junior year is the first year I come back around. I start, okay, let me start living a normal life again. Mind you, I'm okay. still in high school. Next thing I know, I find out that because the chemotherapy that I dealt with was so aggressive, certain parts of my body were functioning as if I were 50, 60 years old, one of those being my heart. So mm -hmm. I go to try to retry out for basketball and make it right this time. And I pass out during one of our practices. And again, it's still in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, okay, am I just not fit for this athletic sports competitive 
driven culture or what's going on. So end up sitting out that basketball season. And then I have my first track season. I start doing therapy, recovering through that. Um, and then I start to grow up a little bit because at this point I'm 16 going into 17, mm-hmm. you, know, you start to get a couple muscles, even though you don't lift and uh, yep. you're getting your man. You got that skinny swole. You know what I'm saying? That skinny yeah. swole. Exactly. Senior year comes around and I don't know what it is, but I, a switch just flipped in my life and in my body. And it was the first year I've actually had multiple months where I could actually train towards something. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, um, and I don't say this to aggrandize myself, but just to tell the story, next thing I know, I'm much more competitive in a physical space than I've ever been in my life. And because I start to catch my affirmations and my value in that space, I even recognize it's carrying over to my academics as well. So I'm showing up feeling like the man when I'm taking my test. I'm showing up feeling like the man when I'm on the track, when I'm on the court, yeah. when I'm talking to girls, like everything seemed to finally start working out. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking D1 or bust. Long story short, I got zero D1 offers. The one offer I got was a division two school. And it ended up, even though I was very like regrudgingly attending this university, it ended up being one of the best decisions of my life because I met the two biggest mentors I ever had. Well, flash forward to my freshman year of college. Next thing I know, I get diagnosed again with cancer. And I'm thinking Mm. like, it's like, this cannot be true. Like I just spent this whole year working toward this thing, grinding it out, working on my diet, doing all this little stuff. And in a moment's notice, yet again, it was taken away from me. But this time it was so much different. I was kind of confused the first time. And the second time I was pissed off. I was angry. I was mad. I was frustrated. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life where I actually started having like anxiety and I started having like mental struggles. And then they tried to clinically diagnose me with depression when I was at the hospital. And in that moment, it's almost crazy for me to say that it wasn't cancer that made me feel like enough is enough. It was when they diagnosed me with depression that enough is enough because I knew in my mind, I had never been depressed before. Like I am not a depressive person and I am not one of those people that carry that depressed, um, uh, chemical imbalance in my body. I just believed I, I could not believe that to be true for me. And so that's when I really started diving into that conversation we we're talking about earlier about perspective. That was the first time I got that book, The Noticer, mm-hmm. my sophomore or my freshman sophomore year of college. Um, that's when I first started to connect the dots about my faith and my spirituality. That's when I first started to connect the dots really about what my grandma was doing for me and how much she was serving me. And and I, I kid you not, I keep talking about these moments in my life where switches flip. That was a moment in my life where I was like, I don't care what diagnosis I have. I don't care what affirmations I have. I don't care what is on the other side of any of this stuff. I refuse to continue to live a life that's about me and feel this empty when things are taken away. But one thing people cannot take away is how I treat other people, how I serve other people, how I show up for other people, the type of questions I'm asking, the type of conversations I'm doing or anything I'm doing for everybody else. And so when I took the focus and pressure off of me and healing myself and getting better, I actually found on the reverse, I was healing, getting better and feeling a much more holistic life experience. All right, folks, we're going to hit the pause button on this part one of the Shadows Podcast with Iman Tucker. Definitely encourage you to come back with us on Thursday. Check out part two. If you've listened to part one in this entirety, it's an incredible story that he's got going. And we finish it off in part two this Thursday, March 2nd. 
Now, make sure you are subscribed to the Shadows Podcast on all podcast platforms because coming up the week after, we tip off Season 3 of the Rebound Series. The Rebound Series every year has been our most downloaded month, and we do not expect things to change with this incredible lineup that we have for you. This is the coolest part of this job is getting to interview some of these people. And we have a star-studded, all-star lineup of guests for you for Season 3 of the Rebound Series. Folks, like we said, tune in this Thursday, March 2nd, for Part 2 of the Shadows Podcast with I'm on Tucker.